Well, we are looking for perks and we are talking with jerks. We are just looking, looking, looking and talking, talking, talking. We are just jerks who talk about movies. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Doug. I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Michael. I'm Elijah. And hey, I didn't sing movies this week. We didn't. (laughs) We didn't. We just figured it out. Again, the struggles of recording. Also got outvoted on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. It's okay. the struggles of both living in a democracy and recording through a quarantine. That's how it is. Hey, but here we are. We made yeah. it to the penultimate episode, guys. The, okay. Episode you have made it to the penultimate episode of Some Jerks Who Talk About Movies. Wow. Or you've made it to this one if you've listened to no other episode. Yes. <laughs> in, in which case, case, what a weird place to come. You picked in. a weird one to pick up. Yeah. Congratulations on picking up on episode 99. Of which there will be no movie reviews after this. Yeah. Um, I mean, hey, it's like starting Game of Thrones at you know season eight. Accurate. Um, oh. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Uh, so so guys, our movie reviewing days are behind us. It's official, <sighs> at least on this platform. Uh, but uh, but that does not mean that the podcast is going to end right now. It's going to end next week. However, for this week, let's take a look back because there are five of us on this podcast. It started with two, then it was three, then four, then five. Um, and uh, that, that and is how counting that, works. Is, that is how counting works. I think me and Tristan joined on the same week, though. Like to point yeah, that I out. I think there was a week difference between y'all. No, it's the same week. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. Um, <laughs> Continue. Anywho, uh, so yeah, so we were bound not to agree on certain movies at certain points, and we actually did that for the majority of episodes. Uh, Though there were a few that we did all agree on. Yeah. Like all Halloween episode, 3. Halloween 3. We love an episode where everyone gives the movie a zero. Um, but uh, But yeah, so this week we're going to take a look at some of those episodes where we just didn't agree and we are instituting the battle of the jerks. So this has been much discussed for months. What's up, Ben? How exactly is this going to work? Well, that's a wonderful question. Okay. So first things first, uh, like Mike said, this is something that I pitched like multiple weeks ago, multiple months ago. And I just kind of wanted to do it. Um, and I talked to everybody else into doing it. Uh, so Battle of the Jerks. So each of the jerks has gone through and identified uh, one or two movies that they vehemently disagree with another jerk on. Throughout the, throughout the course of this podcast, we're going to tackle these movies and these disagreements head to head. And the jerks are going to go, go at it, duel of the fate style, and try to convince the other jerk uh, to change their rank. Uh, now, this spans multiple episodes of the podcast, multiple iterations of the good, bad scale. Um, so, <laughs> so we're going to take this. We're gonna, we've converted all the scores to the current scales, uh, and I think we've got a pretty solid, a pretty solid lineup. 
Um, but, That's uh, it. We'll also be wrapping up with a nice special surprise. Oh, yeah. An argument that will finally be settled. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> Even though it was officially so, we're going to officially settle. I don't know until it's officially settled. I'd say, actually, I went back and checked that uh, poll the other day, but we'll get to it later. All right. Okay. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so... So yeah, so we're gonna go through these these head-to-head duels, um, and we're gonna see who comes out on top. Uh, I don't think we're gonna keep score, but we might as well we keep can. score. I'm down for keeping score, especially because I have an idea of how I'm gonna turn out on the end of this. Yeah, you do. But it's okay because we're gonna do it anyway. Okay, so we say keeping score. How do we want to do this? Do you want to be like if? So, this is what this is what I would say. I would say whichever jerk makes because that is a thing in your defending or in your trying to convince the jerk to change their score. If it makes you change your own score, I would say whichever jerk has the greatest change in rank or in score, that's the winner. But what yes? if nobody changes their score? Well, then, I feel then like the, the peanut gallery should decide, right? I think at that point, Ooh, we how defer about this? to the... Yeah. We uh, defer to everybody who wasn't in the argument, and we vote on who won the argument. Oh. Yeah, I'm down yeah. with that. I'm down yeah, cool. everyone agreed. Everyone who is not in the argument must concur, and a winner will be crowned for each round. Yes. Cool. And I Good. think... Yeah, that actually sets up really well for the last one, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we end this. <laughs> Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Sweet. So, Ben, what's our first matchup? Oh, all right. Well, thank you for tossing it over me, Doug. Uh, listeners of some jerks who talk about movies, uh, remember back with me to one of the first real big episodes that we did. It was episode seven, in which Doug, Tristan, my sister Haley, and I all talked about Solo, a Star Wars story. Now, all through that episode, Doug vehemently said that he didn't hate the movie, which he later recanted and said that he did, in fact, hate the movie. Uh, He had a few different reasons for not liking it. I'll let him explain. Uh, Now, Doug, explain why he didn't like the movie. All right, sure. So so my original score for this movie was a five on the bad scale. that's when we convert it to to the current scales but it would have been a five on the bad scale it's a movie that just exists in the ether and when we first watched this movie i really did agree with that point because i think first of all first of all at the time of watching this movie i hated the fact that they had built up this this movie as like this is the story of han solo that you've never seen and watching, I forget his name, Alden Ehrenreich, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I watched him and I said, that's not Han Solo. And secondly, uh, so that was one point. I did not like his performance. Secondly, uh, I understand that politics has always played a part in Star Wars, including current politics. And, or, and the movies show a reflection on our current state of politics as well. However, I do not need a movie like Star Wars to hammer in such a political message as they do. And L3 is there entirely to promote a political message. Um, And I didn't like it because that's the last thing I want in my space fantasy movie. Third, the fact that so many 
so many icons of pop culture are in one movie really took you out of the movie. Uh, and having uh, Daenerys Targaryen, uh, Vision slash Jarvis, and Hey Bitch Abernathy all in the same room was very distracting, and I really just did not care for it. I think those are my big points. I'd say, um, uh, one other point I remember. You didn't like that, quote-unquote, not Leia existed in reference yes. to Kira. Yes. Because I believe your argument was that, like, you already know how it's going to end, so what's really the point in telling this story? Oh, yeah, yeah. So those were my points. Uh, those were my points in the original argument. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, so I will go ahead and let you know that uh, I will concede to a couple of your points. Uh, this is probably one of the more star-stacked films in all of Star Wars. You've got a lot of big-name actors from Woody Harrelson, Donald Glover, um, Amelia Clark. Like, there's a lot of them. That's fair. But you do have an actor playing Han Solo. I think does a pretty bang-up job in Alden Ironreich. Uh, I think the thing that really took away from your experience watching it the first time, you were expecting the same Han Solo that we see in Episode Four: A New Hope. Which, think about, think about how you were as a freshman, Doug. Are you the same person you were then? Dear Lord, no. We had All this right. conversation two weeks ago. <laughs> right. And so I think it's not fair to say that Alden Ironreich isn't Han Solo when he's playing a version of Han Solo that I want to say is like five to ten years younger than the one that we see in A New Hope. But what we do see in Alden Ironreich's Han Solo are kind of some of those seeds that are planted to grow into the Han Solo that we love. We see that he is a smuggler, like like he is kind of a scoundrel. He does have some of those tendencies throughout the movie, whether it be trying to trick Lady Proxima, uh, getting involved with Woody Harrelson's gang, uh, getting uh, playing Sabacc with Lando and kind of how that all unfolds. But underneath it all, like we see that he's actually a good guy, which he tries to cover up with all these different scoundrelly things that he does. And yeah. I think we see that more so like in my mind, like we see what he was like before he really got hardened because of whatever happens with him and Kira, which we see at the end of the movie. Uh, like she pretty much just ups and leaves him. So. Yeah. He gets very hardened. I was going to say that um, he makes some progress in this movie. And we see this deeper layer of his character, which is a good guy. But we, it's, it gets negated by the end of the movie because of his love interest. But we also see him come, you know, and later in Star Wars, we see him come back to this kind of good character and it's really fully fleshed out. Um, but anyway, I was going to say also, I don't know if I would have give, given this a six now. <laughs> Um, it's, I still think it's a good movie, but I don't know if it deserves a six. I think Ben's more right with a four on the good scale. Um, anyway, but, I already know that I'm right about everything. Well, statistically right. speaking, he is. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Ditto to Ben. Okay. I have something to, to add. I know I'm not a part of this fight. I just kind of wanted to pose a question. Okay. This is a sort of moderation thing. Um, so in A New Hope, we see Han Solo's character arc in that movie goes from like 
Um, scoundrel, as you said, somebody who does not really care about other people, shoots first, asks questions later. And at the end of the movie, you find out that he's a little better than that. But does this movie not negate that arc or at least just do the same thing again? Because I, I feel personally like I didn't get anything new from him. I felt like I was watching his same arc just with different people. I think it's more you're watching his arc put backwards. Like we have Han Solo in the original and the sequel trilogies. Like you see him, like he starts off as this kind of hardened up scoundrel and he softens up over the course of the trilogy and into The Force Awakens as he falls in love with Leia. And I feel like that's him finally letting his guard down. Whereas in Solo, like, we don't see him harden up a lot because Kira is around until the end, where she's not. If that makes sense. That's the thing, though, is I don't feel like I walked away from Solo feeling like now he's all jaded and emo and he's going to dye his hair and go to the but black I parade. Mean, like, he I, never, I didn't he feel... never was that way. No, but he was a lot more tough. This also isn't the end of his story before A New Hope, though. Like, there's still another, like, at least five years before A New Hope happens. Well, sure. I'm just saying, I don't... I think that Lucasfilm had intended to do two more solo films that I think have since been next. I don't think Han Solo is as tough as you think he is. Like, Han Solo puts on a facade for most of the time. Hmm. He's just, like, he's just a dude. He's not a big, strong man with, like, a... A shotgun sure. or something, yeah. you know. He, he's yeah, but to Mike's point, I mean, when when we first see Han Solo in A New Hope, we don't realize that like that like it is a front, and I think that I think that what this movie does is it starts him the completely opposite end of the spectrum, and it's just like he's very hopeful like smart aleck guy who thinks he can talk his way out of any situation but he still is like very hopeful and like he's to quote john mulaney he's like a young motown singer all shiny and new um and throughout the course of the movie you start to see him kind of develop that edge and i think it's a believable jump to go from the end of solo to the beginning of new hope to be like yeah that amount of time i can see him building up a much tougher edge that turns into a much deeper facade okay yeah so to that point i feel like i should go on and say where i'm at with this movie now because uh you know i did watch this movie yesterday with ben and having rewatched it finally uh i will say that i will say that what i said about having a star-studded cast in this movie it does it's weird um it's just straight up weird uh i can appreciate alden ehrenreich's uh performance i think he does do a very good han solo i think that it's a good story arc that was intended to continue and go further we just didn't get to see that um and i think it does a good job of setting up that without specifically setting it up yeah uh, I will say that this second time I watched it, I did get a very specific thought. Like, I, I was able to label a specific grievance that I have with the movie that I don't think I was able to label with it originally in that I don't like the fact that everything important in Han Solo's life happens in this one movie. And that's another point I will happily concede to you because I didn't like that either. Yeah. So, that being said, my original score on this movie was a five on the bad scale. 
having seen this movie again, and more importantly, having seen episode nine, <laughs> I will give this movie... <laughs> I think this movie deserves a two on the good scale. Hey. I think it's I think it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, I think it I think it's good. I think it's good. All right. A dog. All right. Oh. So Ben and Tristan have won their first argument. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to the two of you. And now for our second argument. So we talked about episode seven, pretty heated argument. Now we're gonna talk about a less heated, but still fairly heated argument. Episode A, we look at Mamma Mia, a movie released in 2008. Uh, ben Tankersley, hey. buddy. Hey. You gave this movie a zero. On it just the felt right. You want, you want to tell the folks why, why you would make that decision? Sure. Well, uh, for starters, uh, the premise of this movie is quite possibly one of the stupidest premises for a movie I've ever seen. Uh, for those of y'all who haven't seen it, it's about this girl uh, who's getting ready to get married. Uh, she's never met her dad, but she steals her mom's diary and finds out that her dad is potentially one of three guys. So how does she resolve that? She invites all three of them to her wedding. And um, hijinks ensue, question mark? Yeah, for lack of a better word. Well, yeah, uh, we get uh, Pierce Brosnan uh, attempting to sing in this movie. Uh but honestly, the whole thing is just a completely disjointed mess. Uh, it's a jukebox musical, which I hate, uh, because none of the songs, like the transition between each and every song is clunky and doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. And I don't know. I... But at least the songs are by ABBA, so they're really yeah, that's good. Fine. That's fine. I'm kidding. I hate ABBA. Wow. I know I don't have a dog in this <laughs> wow, race, you some guys. Strong, some strong hate from ABBA coming out I mean, of I'm here. very eh on ABBA. I, I, I you like guys to would laugh. It's like ABBA. I, I like I to add. you guys to... would laugh because you knew that I hated ABBA. <laughs> oh, but no, I guess I this is news to you. <laughs> no, I, I famously despise ABBA. Oh, yeah, you do. I would just like to add that I actually really like ABBA, and I think that's the reason I hate this movie a lot. I, haven't, I wasn't on the <laughs> podcast, so I don't have a rating. I don't have a dog in this fight. But... Watching Pierce Brosnan, like, <laughs> absolutely decimate a song to where, like, like, he just throws it through a meat grinder and it's unrecognizable at the other end. It's just painful on so many levels. Honestly, I, I watching really Pierce Brosnan try to sing in this movie, is, it's just not fun. And, like, yeah, honestly, guys. all of the people who could potentially be her dad are honestly kind of jerks. Like, you've got Pierce Brosnan, who uh, cheated on his fiance to be with Meryl Streep. And, like, the other two were, what, like, drifters or something? Like, I don't know. It, I'm just, bleh. Okay. So, here's the thing, okay? So, I gave this movie an 8 on the good scale. No, no. I, I, I misread things. I gave this movie an 8 on the bad scale. I said, this movie's just below so bad it's good, okay? Well, here's the thing, then, okay? So, my biggest grievance with you on this movie is that, Honestly, it made me realize how much you hate jukebox musicals. I would contend that you, there are good jukebox musicals. You just Everyone. haven't seen one yet. And I still stand by the fact that this state, that the stage version of this works a whole lot better than. Well, I was supposed to go version. see it in a week and a half, but uh, this whole pandemic yeah. thing is kind of throwing a wrench in that. Yeah. But here's the thing. 
I, I get where you're coming from because Pierce Brosnan cannot sing in this movie. It's painful. Literally, there are so many other ways she could go about realizing this information. Oh, wait, I forgot. Yes. We don't even find out who the dad is. Well, yeah, but I mean, we've She's already just talked like, about. Oh, we don't. I don't need to know who my dad is. I've got three now. Yeah. And all um, of them are okay with it. I get that. I get that. And yes, this movie does hammer over your head pretty poor renditions of ABBA songs that are intended to be these triumphant ballads that I really do enjoy. Um, and I, I get that you probably have ABBA fatigue after watching this movie. I get... This is just you think, conceding all his points, <laughs> I get that Meryl Streep probably... It's even worse than Mamma Mia 2. It's like the same soundtrack. Yes, yes. And Which Meryl I haven't Street seen Mamma Mia 2. I just looked it up. Yes, and Meryl Streep is probably drunk throughout the entirety of this movie. Honestly, all three of them are. But Ben, here's the thing, buddy. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Rewatching this movie, this movie sucks on so many levels. Like, dear Lord, what in the Sam Hill was I thinking giving movie an eight on the bad scale? This movie sucks. And I told you last night I thought I was going to give it a one. I think a one is too good for this movie. You know what, buddy? It just seems right. Give this oh. movie a freaking zero where it belongs. Uh, there we go. Bump this movie. <laughs> All right. And now Doug and I are going to take a break and pass it over to Elijah. Oh, man. All right. Hey, you guys. So um, I'm going to say first that I don't particularly care to change anybody's score on this movie. Uh, I don't care that you don't like it. It's just this one facet of the movie that you didn't like. Oh, uh, here we go. That I really just have to talk about more. So I don't care what happens to the final scores. I'm even willing to bring mine down a notch or two. I'll go ahead and say, because I don't care. I just want to talk about this one little thing. Glad uh, to. And also, um, I brought receipts. I, oh, I, no. say, I have a document here on my laptop that's got timestamps for our episode. Which episode was it, you guys? Uh, anybody got that pulled up? Yeah, well, I, hold on. Well, I'll crunch the numbers real quick. And uh, after doing that, it's 74. All right, you guys. Episode 74 was Easy A, the Emma Stone movie. And uh, so if you guys, listeners, would want to, you know, go back and, and check to make sure that I'm not putting words into Mike's or Tristan's mouth. I'll, they really I'll did cut him in. Do what? I'll cut him in. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> oh, sure. Okay, look. Uh, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up, y'all. Okay, first of all, the way it started is actually, in retrospect, funny. This happens at the 38 minute, 26 second mark in the recording, right? Mike says... I hate something else about this movie. <laughs> Good to know. The parents. And me and Doug and Rebecca, who was our guest for that episode because it's one of her favorite movies collectively yelled no yeah, no! Yeah, oh, yeah, no 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 yeah. no mm -hmm. and looking back on it it's pretty funny but the line the line was drawn right then when that happens yeah it was. so mike admits that the parents are funny and that he laughed at them one of them is played by stanley tucci who uh y'all famously loved uh, 
And Mike goes on to say, but as characters, I don't like them. At 38.56, Tristan and Mike agree that the parents are tropey. At 39.20, Doug, Rebecca, and I agree that they have perfect chemistry with each other and with Emma Stone. Mike says, I'm sorry, I just don't agree whatsoever. Then, at the 40-minute, three-second mark, in spite of having just said that he doesn't agree that the actors have great chemistry, Mike says, Do they have good chemistry? Yes. Is the tooch the tooch? Absolutely. One tooch out of one tooch. The problem is the writing of the characters. It's awful. I don't like it. And, dear listener, please remember, as I go on, that that this was Mike's initial outburst, okay? (laughs) At 40-40, after Doug says, they seem like parents who are trying to figure it out, Mike shouts, They've had a child for 16 years! And then I immediately interrupt him, which is, of course, rude, and I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Apology accepted. I made a valid argument. Yes, you did, Doug. (laughs) Um, and I interrupt to say, who in this room has had a child for 16 years and knows what they're doing? You don't know what it's like to be a parent. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I don't have children. At 41 and 5 seconds, Mike accuses me of gatekeeping for what I said. And Tristan agrees. Gatekeeping, my friends, <laughs> this is defined as the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, did I control and or limit someone's general access to something that they should have had access to? Was I gatekeeping? Doug, what do you think? You know, I firmly do not believe that you were gatekeeping. (laughs) Okay. Mike and Tristan's point as they're saying this, literally, and again, I'm not putting words in their mouths. I'm not paraphrasing because I have an agenda. You can go back. I've got timestamps. You can listen to what they say. I know you do. (laughs) Point. Literally, their point is that they can criticize whatever they want, even if they have zero experience with it. Yikes. Go back and listen to it, y'all. This, that starts at, at, at about okay. the 41 minute mark, okay? At 41.13, I say, you just criticize the writing of these characters because you think the parent of a 16-year-old should know exactly what they're doing. Mike says, No, I criticize the writing of those characters because I know what parents are like, and that ain't it. What are you, you talking about? about? Your parents are like, you don't know I've what other parents are like. I've met more than my parents. At 41.35, Doug suggests looking at it from a research perspective, arguing that a particular group that you're familiar with isn't necessarily an indication of what a whole population is like. Do you guys think that's valid? I I really do think it's valid because I'm thinking that as you're saying the points. (laughs) Like, uh, I, I don't know. Let's just say that I knew four women and then... They all had something in common. So I said, you know what? All women are like this. What kind of a person would that make me? A very poor one. <laughs> so, probably a so, very single one. Right. So Doug says, yeah, look at it from this perspective. Just, you know, the, the group that you're familiar with doesn't necessarily speak for the whole population. 41, 48. I point out that the original argument was that they're tropey parents. But now you're saying... 
that no parents are like this. They don't exist. Mike says the trope is unrealistic. That happens a little after 4148. <laughs> Look it up. Mike compares it to the unrealistic confession scene from the movie, which I personally didn't have a problem with, although Doug immediately agrees that that scene was dumb. Do you guys remember that scene? It was. Nope. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I don't think I was there for the movie. That confession so. scene is dumb. Oh, that's right. Ben <laughs> didn't watch it, but um, Doug agrees with him. Uh, and Mike I was there for the that... argument, though. Okay, yeah. So Mike compares the parents being unrealistic to the unrealistic confession booth scene. At 42.45, I asked Mike and, Trisk Mike and Tristan, I almost called you Trisket, my man. Sorry, I'm getting in a rush. All right. I ask, what about these parents is unrealistic? And Tristan says, I'm looking on tvtropes.com. I'm going to find it. And the but, way they support Olive and like they look like yeah. you just, you know, like they act silly and sarcastic and like they have like their fun little moments with family dinner. But like, you know, they look at her and they're like, look, like what's going on? Like the point being that they act like real parents. My parents act like that. What about y'all? Anybody? Yeah, my parents support me. No. <laughs> no, my parents don't act like the parents in EZA. Right. All right, 4318. Well, as we stated previously. <laughs> Hold on. Let, I want to hear out Elijah so I can form yeah. my counterargument. <laughs> okay. 4318. Doug says that the characters are played like real people with flaws and struggles. They've made mistakes, and they are trying to pass on their knowledge to their children. And at 4335, Doug makes the bold statement, that these are some of the best written characters we've ever seen on this entire podcast. I don't know if he still agrees with that. I don't know that I still agree with that. Okay. <laughs> it is a very large statement for some supporting characters. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, okay, keep going. Um, and I point out that the parents in most stories like this are either dead or they suck. Finally, we have supportive parents. Doug and Rebecca agree. At 4408, Mike says, I don't see what point you're making. All right. Okay. I ask, how many movies can you name where the young hero has both parents and they're cool and they love her? And I'm not saying we couldn't name some, but in that moment, nobody does. How many, you know, orphaned heroes do we see? Because <laughs> people don't, don't care to put well, fleshed out parents into the story. This was an exception. 4423, Mike says that we are twisting the circumstances to make it seem more reasonable. Doug vehemently disagrees. 44.35, Tristan says, you guys are digging a little too deep with this. Doug says the same to the other side. I'd like to point out that Mike and Tristan's side was the one that started the discussion by asserting the parents weren't good characters, but they have yet to put forth a shred of actual support from the film. So I ask you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, who's scraping the bottom of the barrel here? Doug, what do you think? So, so are you asking whose argument is actually valid? Well, I feel like we need to hear Mike and Tristan's yeah, counter like argument before, we talk before right, Doug yeah. and I no can. Way to talk hey, given the fact, yeah. given the fact that Ben and I are the jury in this case. Yeah. So, Mike <laughs> oh, and Tristan. Uh, wait, okay. I'm not finished. Oh, oh, sorry. oh okay. Hang on, I didn't you continue, bro. And also, the jury includes the listeners, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. At 44:57. After Tristan says he's looking on TV tropes, I ask what he's found. He says, I'm still looking. I say, fairly rudely, that's what I thought. This may be the only moment in our friendship when Tristan was genuinely mad at me, and I apologize. 
sincerely. But anyway, moving on. At 45.11, Mike says the characters make sense in the context of the movie, but don't make sense compared to real-life parents. Once again, asserting that they are simply not realistic, that real people aren't like this. At 45.37, he says, I also think it's pretty poor parenting. That's a whole other subject. Although, in the end, as you will see, this turns out to be more relevant than he suggested. At 45.43, Tristan suddenly announces, it's the good parents trope. Rebecca and I laugh, and Doug yells, what? And if memory serves, Tristan also laughed a little at what he said, but I couldn't tell from the recording if my memory of that moment is accurate, so maybe I'm making that up. Probably. But I would like you to recall that at 41.48, Mike asserted that the trope was that the characters were unrealistic and that they were bad parents. Now, the trope is that they are good parents. This is the new argument. They have now jumped from the raft. They've jumped shift of, ship of their old argument onto this new one for the moment. At 45.52, Tristan says, the parents are useless. I say, they support her. We're yelling at each other. <laughs> We love each other, though. Don't be fooled. Tristan says, that's it. That's all they do. They support her. There's no other dimension to them. And our side points out, again, that they have flaws, and they're more fleshed out than that. But I would like to ask, even if that is true, that the only trait we see of the parents is their supportiveness, would that make them unrealistic? Because real parents aren't supportive? At 46.22, I ask, what is it about real parents that this movie missed? And at 46.46, Mike says, I don't think parents talk to their kids like that. And if they do, and I'm sure some people do talk to their kids like that, I'm not a big fan. And there's some stuff to unpack here, I think. He concedes in the middle of his statement that some people probably do talk to their kids like that, contradicting what he said multiple times about the way these characters are written. At 46.55, I say, so you're not a big fan, but what you said is they're not written well. And Doug agrees and says, you said they are not written like realistic parents. Referring to, again, the 40-minute, three-second mark, when Mike insists that the writing was awful and that that's his problem with the characters. And at 47.05, Mike says, I didn't say they're not written well. I'm going to say that one again. At 47.05, Mike says that he did not say that they were not written well. Uh, and we argue. And at 47.10, Mike says, if I said that, I misspoke. I would like to know if that was misspeaking, what exactly the argument was from the beginning. He explains that they're not realistic because they don't act the way he thinks parents should. Go listen to the episode. That's what he says. And so at 47.20, I point out that he is not talking about what's realistic. He's talking about idealistic. His ideal for what a parent should be. And when I point this out, Mike audibly scoffs and says nothing in response. And then Rebecca suggests that we move on. And the last thing that I would like to say is that <laughs> in case there's confusion among listeners, we are all friends and we do love each other. <laughs> all right. Wow. Thank, thank you, you for you that, very Elijah. Prepared, Elijah. Dang. Also, uh, yo, are you okay? It's have, have we permanently hurt you for you to break it's this quarantine. down? I had to nothing to do, y'all. I had nothing okay. to do on quarantine. <laughs> well, I'll it tell you Sunday. this. Yeah, it is a Sunday. I'll 
I'll tell you this. I'll make some points, and I'm sure Tristan wants to also make some points, seeing as how we've gotten systemically torn down for the past, like, 12 straight minutes. So, on, on that, uh, I'm going to make a few points. Um, a, I wish I'd known we were going for an autopsy. I would have prepped for an <laughs> autopsy. If I had known, maybe I would have had more time to figure this one out. But I'll say some general points as to what Elijah's saying. Do, do I concede that the goalpost moved several times in the length of my argument in the context of the episode? I do. They did. Because I didn't really have enough time to formulate my thoughts because I said I didn't like the parents and suddenly we were in Mad Max Thunderdome town. <laughs> yeah, we and I, I had to scramble for a weapon because immediately it was time to go and we were just having arguments. So do I concede that I, I had a lot of backtracking and leading and et cetera? Yes. Yes, I do. A couple of points on the parents. First point, I subjectively don't like the parents in the film. A lot of my argument comes from that. A lot of that isn't based on a specific element other than the fact that I think those parents aren't that good at being parents. Which brings me to my second point on gatekeeping. Do I know specifically what it means to be a parent? No, I do not. I've not had a child. I'm not a father. However, when we're watching media, is it not true that we try to empathize with characters who all have not had our experiences? Do we not empathize with Luke Skywalker, even though none of us have laser swords? Do we not empathize with characters in movies that are women, even though we're all men? My point here is that you can empathize and try to understand things that you do not necessarily fully understand. And while you're never going to get to the point where you have full understanding, you would never get there anyway, because you're not going to be these people. And spoiler alert, they're not even people. These are constructs. These are characters. It's a movie. So I don't think it's unfair to say that I don't, think the parents are that great and I have my own personal as Michael opinion of what parents should be I think that's a fair point to make now moving on from that um when it comes to the writing the characters in this movie are written well within the context of the actual the um the actual film it works for the narrative it works for the writers the, pa the parents make sense within that construct most of my issue comes with the fact that I don't think they should have been treating Olive like that. Now, that's pretty much what I got on this one. I'll let Tristan continue some thoughts, but that's, that's the general gist of this. Okay. So, immediately two things. First, um, I agree with Mike on the Thunderdome thing. This is one of those things that I just thought was going to be a point that I could make and you guys would understand. Because you know how sometimes you make a point or you say something and you don't have to finish it because you just figure, you're like, you know, you get it, right? And then everyone else is like, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. I thought this was going to be one of those moments where everyone was like, yeah, those parents, they're kind of weird. But no one seemed to agree with me, and except for Mike. So I was like, immediately, I was, I was frustrated because I'm like, wait, what? You guys, you guys don't get it? So I go into this with frustration, and also it's time to battle, which I wasn't prepared for at all. 
So I'm, I feel like I'm trying to scramble for a weapon too, but Michael's the primary defender here. So I'm just kind of like letting him do some, some work. And I'm also like upset. <laughs> and it's, I, I mean, I don't like to talk much when I'm upset. So that happened. I guess my second point is I apologized for not accurately saying my words. I don't know. Like I, I probably, I, I mean, I, I don't remember everything that you said, Elijah, but I, I'm sure I also went back on things. I said the tropey thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I still think they fall into some kind of trope. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I, I like I said, I didn't analyze my argument for you like you did. Um, they still feel like some sort of trope and that could be just because I don't know I like like Michael said I don't know parents like this I don't I I literally don't I didn't grow up with parents like this Michael's parents aren't like this none of my friends have parents like this um, or that I you know that I know very well um, so it's something that I'm not used to and it's a little bit foreign to me I guess in that way um, so my initial response is it's not real, I guess. And I was, I mean, I, I am wrong to assume that. I mean, it's, of course it's, it's real that it can happen. Parents like this can exist and I'm sure they do. Um, but it's just something I've never seen before. And I was wrong in that way. Um, but I will say that I do think it's unusual to find this kind of stuff in a movie. Um, and I think, well, I, th I guess I, it's more unusual to find this stuff in, in real life in my own experience. But like Mike said, again, I only know my own experience. I can't say from what other people have gone through and what you guys all know well to be parents is like this, I guess. So um, I, I I can't defend that really well. I, all I can say is that's my own experience and bada bing, bada boom. All righty. Well, I, our, before we uh, get to uh, Doug and I deciding who wins this argument, does anybody want to What was Mike going to say? Mike was going to say something. Were you going to say something, Mike? I was going to mostly <clears throat> add that, and, and something I'm just going to say right now is I don't, I don't, I'm not going to change my score. Okay. I still hold to my score. I just admit that while I was arguing about more objective parts of this in the episode, I now concede that most of that was subjective. I'll take that for my part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what were you going to say, Ben, somebody? Uh, I was just going to conclude the argument and uh, figure out how Doug and I feel about this so we can decide who wins this one. Yeah. I, I want to ask this, Eliza, are you somewhat appeased? <laughs> have, have, you, have you had peace? Can you sleep at night at this yes. point? Yes, okay, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Okay. Because me and Rebecca and Doug, we talked about it. Like, when we saw the movie, like the first time seeing the movie, we leave the movie thinking that the parents were, like, our favorite part or one of our favorite parts of the movie. All three of us said that. Right. Um, but to Mike and Tristan, it seemed alien. Um, and so when Mike said that he hated the parents and Tristan agreed, Doug and Rebecca and myself were all like appalled. And so the line was drawn in the sand right then. And like everybody took sides instantly. And that made it super easy to be over the top when we were debating this. Yeah. It happened that point, on both that, sides. To that point, I think that, I think that the reason 
it got so out of hand, at least on my part, was I kind of saw the entire movie as kind of like meh, but I saw it as like meh, but I saw the parents as a really strong point of the movie. So when when you and Tristan like said that said that you really did not like the parents, I think that's what threw it all into yeah a conniption. Uh, ben, I think I think you should be the one to decide this because oh okay. because I think I have too much skin in this game. It is. Uh, um, well. I, I can't give Mike and Tristan credit for saying that they were caught off guard because this is a podcast that's recorded live. Sorry. Uh, there were a lot of contradictions in your original argument. And, there were. I can see that. Uh, yeah. So I'm not going to give y'all, like... Look, uh, Elijah clearly stayed up all night, like, fundamentally destroying <laughs> our arguments. Give him the point. Let's just go from there okay, also yep. i mean like come on this is the only movie that elijah is actually trying to fight for so i mean <laughs> right fine. okay yeah but you you've earned this buddy man yeah. that was i that's just wanted a... it to be drawn out because i haven't said anything in a while come on okay, I mean, okay. dang dude came out swinging <laughs> that right. wasn't swinging that was he, he took a scalpel to us for 12 straight minutes <laughs> Well, when I said swinging, it was he came out with a bat wrapped in barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, uh, remind me not to get mad at Elijah. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, the, the moral of the story is <laughs> you don't mess with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, um, Mike, I think you've got a pretty short one here. Now for a pretty short one, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, Swiss Army Man. I said it was amazing. Doug said it was bad. Doug, do you think this is a bad movie? Nope, this movie's awesome. Cool. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a slight, just to build on that a, a little bit, and then we'll be done with this one already. Um, Swiss Army Man catches you off guard. It always does. It's mm-hmm. it's a really weird movie, and I think Doug just needed time to sit on it. Yeah, I know Ben I, went into the podcast not liking it as much, and by the time we got to the end, yeah. he... I know, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. yeah, literally, like, a week after the movie, after we watched the movie, uh, I, like, came back to Mike and said... I'm already liking the movie more than when we did the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I think it takes some time to, to really digest. Um, yeah. Do you have a, do you have a new score, Doug? Uh, yeah, sure. So my original score was an eight on the bad scale. I'd probably give this movie a solid eight on the good scale now. Okay. Right. I think it's a really solid movie. That is a big jump. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next up, Tristan. Okay, so the next one is The Fifth Element. Um, I'm talking to Mike and Ben on this one. Um, I, I don't have like a super strong opinion about this movie. I don't, I don't love it, but it's, I think it's a good movie. Um, the Fifth Element is... What I like about this movie is it's pretty wacky. It is an unrealistic depiction of the future which which is like i mean i don't know i don't know the future but i it seems to be like pretty out, out there um and th- there's not it's not like this movie is trying to take itself seriously um even the parts that are serious are kind of silly and i i think it knows what it is going into it 
And I really just want to know why you guys don't like this movie so much. Mike gave this movie a negative four. Yes. And Ben gave it a negative two. Can, can I just give, give a little bit of context here? Because I gave this movie the highest score of all the jerks. This was a movie that we recorded our review of while I was working this summer. So I was doing good and bad opinions on my five minute little rants. This is also one of the few movies that I recorded my reaction to it before the other jerks did. And I genuinely had no clue what their score was. I gave this movie a three on the good scale out of fear of being the lowest score because I thought that they were going to like this movie. So I decided to lo to lowball it with a three on the good scale. This movie is not good. Like, I just want to get this out there. Like, I'm not going to argue this movie at all. I just want to say, I don't think this movie is good. I think it... Would you change your score? Oh, heck yes. Oh. I'd probably <laughs> give it a five on the bad scale. Uh, okay. so, Mike, also, do you want to start or do you want me to? Oh, wait. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I didn't like this movie either. I thought it was meh. Hmm. Uh, ben, you get to go. You haven't talked in a bit. Okay, cool. Uh, so, my biggest issues with this movie are uh, kind of twofold, but I want to start with one thing. Uh, you know how you were just talking about tropiness and how you don't like it in movies mm -hmm. uh, during uh, EZA? What do you call love being the answer to everything? I don't it's like it in that movie. Okay. Well, it's a trope, and it's a really stupid okay. one. Uh, my other like, biggest thing, uh, Bruce Willis and Mia Jovovich have absolutely zero on-screen chemistry, which doesn't exactly go well <clears throat> when they're supposed to be the couple of the film. It also doesn't help that like he straight up like assaults her at different points in the movie, and it just made me feel uncomfortable. Uh so between those two things, and I know a lot of people do like Chris Tucker's character in the movie. I hated it. It, I, it was just too much. It took me out of the film because, like, uh, I know that you said the whole thing was wacky. I didn't get that. I thought it was a really cool idea for a film, but I just feel like the execution was just really bad. So, yeah. Mike? Yeah. Um, okay, a couple things on this. When you say wacky... Like, fun wacky is, like... It, and the thing is, wackiness is a subjective attribute. Like, the wackiness of something is different, depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. I like The Nightmare Before Christmas. I think that is sufficiently wacky in a fun way. I really enjoy it. Everything in this movie that constitutes wackiness is an assault on my senses. This movie is painful the color palette is ugly the character's great on me you know like you'll hear some people and they talk and your your mind's just like shut up i hate your voice so much that's this whole movie gave me that feeling um i'm just looking at the imdb right here like bruce willis's character is the least offensive that's fair gary oldman is gary oldman whatever he gets a pass on that one um yeah chris tucker is is sandpaper on my eyeballs most of the time for this movie and I will say I like his character more as we see less of him. But, like, the first time we see him is just, like, him doing a full-on music video. I'm just like, it's too much. It's too much. It's loud. It's abrasive. It's crass. It annoys me. I, I can't give a high score to a movie that annoys the heck out of me the entire time. And the, that's the first of the two reasons I gave this movie such a low score. The other is the treatment of Lilo. Um, to my recollection, this is a really uncomfortable movie to watch 
everyone ogles her. Everyone's on top of her, treating her like a like an object the entire time. The plot treats her like an object most of the time because of literally she's the fifth element. Woo woo. And I, it's uncomfortable and I don't like watching it. I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it should be in movies anymore. I've obviously like times have changed, blah, blah, blah. That still doesn't constitute me in 2020 liking it any more than I do. So a combination of Lilo's characterization and the whole movie just being really freaking annoying uh, is just the reason I gave this such a low score. If, if memory serves, it's also kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It more if annoyed me than bored me. That this movie is very boring. I, okay. Honestly, I don't remember a lot of it. People talk about this movie a lot, and I went into it expecting a lot and getting almost nothing. Right. <laughs> Listen, do you have a rebuttal? I mean, probably. Uh, <laughs> I just, I have little efficacy to argue when everyone's against me. Okay. Fair. I don't know. Uh, I like it. Just like your own things. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I guess that uh, chalk up the points for me and Mike. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Um, oh, I, this I, is, yeah. Oh. I, I guess I was. I could say, like, I I can't argue with the uh, Lilu stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, it's bad. I I agree. It's not it's not a good way to treat someone, of course. Um, but I I guess that's not why I I mean, obviously that's not why I like this movie. Um, and let me be clear, I don't love this movie. I think it's fine. I just don't think it deserves the hate that you guys give it. Um, what I can talk on is, is Chris Tucker's character. Um, I think he's fun and I, I don't, I don't get, I mean, he is annoying, but he's meant to be annoying. And the movie never says this character is not supposed to be this way or like you're like you, you, you I guess you take him as he is or whatever. Um, what else did I you mean, say? The, the love thing, the love trope. That's what you said, yeah. Ben, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not love. They they don't have chemistry at all. Um, so, I guess you're right about that. I guess I'm. I'm willing to, the answer all along. I guess I'm willing to overlook that for how fun this movie is for me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yep. Cool. <laughs> all right. All, all right. right on. I, Mike. <clears throat> yeah. Buddy. Yes, sir. So, hey. so Mike and I are gonna kind of take a yep. take on Tristan and Elijah about uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Mm. Yeah, it was our, it our Christmas in June special. Our on, Christmas in June special, which I, I think, wasn't even there for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just gave us a score. I a sent real high score. score. Yeah, yeah, I did. This movie, man, I get it. Look, let, let me point out something about this movie while, while, while we get into this. We were all, as far as I'm aware, born in the mid to late 90s, right? So we were kids when this came out, 2000, right? We are very young children. And I think we have a tendency to look at movies that came out when we were young in a very, very positive light that we shouldn't be looking at it in. I, there's a lot of nostalgia with this one. And I liked it when I was five. Yeah, That is fine. true. And not to say you can't like this movie, but I'm just saying, like, 
this is one of those movies that the older I get, the more it, it's got that fifth element. Everything is grating. It's designed to be ugly. It's just uninter. It's just gross to look at this movie. Like they intentionally made it so ugly. And it's like, why would you do that? Why is mm. this movie is hung entirely on Jim Carrey to carry this thing. And he just goes off. He does. Off. <laughs> off on it and i just i'm it feels like i'm watching one man desperately trying to save a giant mass of blood yeah that's that oh that's my opening on this just one, Doug. just to give some context for this uh so i gave this movie a four on the bad scale yeah. and mike gave it a 10 on the bad scale my biggest thing against this movie is that i feel that this movie does what should never be done with a property created by Dr. Seuss and that it tries to modernize it. Because I think that one of the things that made Dr. Seuss what he was and the brand that he was um, is that it is timeless words. You look at something like Green Eggs and Ham, it's timeless. Anyone from any generation can look at that book and you understand what it is. Anyone from any generation can look at the book for Cat in the Hat or How the Grinch Stole Christmas and you understand what it is. This movie does what does not need to be done to Dr. Seuss, which is try to make it fit a certain demographic in a certain time period. And that is wrong and disrespectful to the to the legacy of Dr. Seuss. That is wrong and disrespectful to the children who will grow up to read his work one day. Uh, Mike's right. Jim Carrey, this entire movie rests on his shoulders. And what happens is, is that when you put all of your faith and all of your hope in a movie on one singular person, on one singular performance, what happens is, is that A, it already brings every other aspect of the movie down multiple notches. And when that one performer or that one actor shows some fault or has some, uh, some imperfection in their performance or in their character, it looks 10 times worse because they are the only bright spot of the movie. And when there is any shred of imperfection in this one, in this one glimmer of hope, it decimates any sort of foundation that the movie can stand on. This movie's terrible. <laughs> Want to start, Elijah? Uh, I'll try to be quick because I've already talked so much. Doug, I find what you said somewhat compelling. Um, I, I don't think it's quite as big a deal as you make it seem, but you know, I get that uh, people take Dr. Seuss properties and try to make them better when they're fine on their own. The cat in the hat was a good indication of that. Uh, I didn't mean that to rhyme. I promise. It's just because we're talking about Dr. Seuss. I'm not trying to rhyme. Um, the uh the what was the other thing doug said <laughs> oh about it all riding on the shoulders of one actor um i have never thought about this movie like that that's an interesting thing to think about uh you you both made this point that the movie rides on his shoulders and that's totally true um and mike what you said about nostalgia is totally valid and i was gonna say uh, nostalgia is a big part of the reason that I gave this movie such a big score 
And I just, I wasn't even on the episode. I just sent you guys my score and it was largely fueled by nostalgia. You know, I'll confess that. So I'm willing to bring my score down, but, um, the, and you know me, I'm always talking about thematic material. The thematic material in the Grinch can miss me. It means nothing <laughs> to me. I it's, it's worthless. Um, the reason I love this movie is because the jokes are so daggum funny. Uh, Jim Carrey's monologues are so daggum funny. The lines that he improvised are hilarious. I quote this movie year round because it's just that funny to me. Um, I, I, the humor alone, I think, outweighs anything else about this movie. It was directed by Ron Howard, right? Yeah. 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 And Ron Howard, like, when Jim Carrey was cast for the role, he like had a threatening conversation with him. Like, don't you ruin this Dr. Seuss story for me. Uh, and then he ended up being really pleased with Jim Carrey's performance because it's awesome. It's hilarious. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Um, so it is hilarious. <laughs> uh, my biggest thing about this movie is like it. I mean, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Um, and I think Jim Carrey's funny in general. I mean, you either love him or hate him, I feel. Um, and I really like him in general. Um, there's a couple things where he's like, eh, but I, I pretty much really like Jim Carrey. And I think you guys are right about him carrying this. I didn't think about it that way either before. Um, but he does. And I think there are a few other good characters in it. Uh, I don't know if they make good character. I don't know if anyone's a good character per se, like well-rounded or anything like that. But I don't think the point of this movie is, or I don't think this movie is trying to make a point that it is like, oh, maybe you shouldn't be a Grinch during Christmas. Like, okay, well, duh. Like, let, let's let's be a little kind to each other. What, what do you what, do? You want to say something, Doug? Well, I mean, I'm just gonna say, like, I think that that's a telling sign of the faults of this movie because if this movie isn't trying to have a point that completely is missing the essence of who Dr. Seuss is and what his writings do because the entire purpose of his writings, the entire reason that they caught on the way that they did is because they do show that there is a point to everything. There is a point in the simplicity, you know, sure. the, Grinch isn't, the, the Grinch isn't just, to be viewed as a story. It's a story that has a point and a message that that is needed just for society. And it's not a message that's just needed around Christmas. It's a message that's needed constantly. And you, just you saying that this movie doesn't have a point, that indicates just how much this movie misses the mark. I think I re I think I spoke again. I don't did I say it doesn't have a point? I, I thought I said I thought I I think the myself. movie has a point. It's. I don't find it awfully compelling, personally. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is it has a point. It's just not. Yeah, it's not compelling. I don't feel like that's what I get from this film when I watch it. I don't have to get it from this film. I want to laugh. It's a comedy. It's not like a deep comedy. It's not like I'm. It's not like I think these jokes are super clever. Although some of the lines are are funny they're kind of clever um and I, I i don't think i ever looked at this from a nostalgia lens i saw it when i was younger um but i was not really into this movie until probably 
a year or two ago, maybe two, maybe a year and a half ago, when I watched it for Christmas again, I was like, dang, uh, this one's actually really funny. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't rank it super high. I mean, I, I gave it a four on the good scale. Yeah, it's a good movie in my opinion. And uh, yeah, there you go. Well, uh, I know that Elijah has said that he would concede on his score. Uh, Doug, you were kind of the other extreme. Would you concede at all based on the arguments? No, I stand by. I think this movie is a genuinely bad movie. I would probably drop mine two points from a 10 bad to an 8 bad. Okay. Tristan? No, I think a four is good for this movie. Uh, uh, Elijah, if you had to rerate this movie based off of uh, everything we've talked about. Yeah, largely because I'm trying to take nostalgic attachment out of it. I would take my nine down to like a six and a half. I don't want to go lower than that because this movie is that funny to me. Yeah, me too. Fair. Yeah. Well, I will say that since Elijah did concede on a few points, I will rule in favor of Doug and Mike. Uh, I like that. I, I can I, see I my a, points, but in our own favor. <laughs> right. Yes. I think a more accurate depiction would be that it's somewhere between Mike, who gave it an eight on the bad scale, and Tristan, who gave it a four on the good scale. Um, but for the sake of this, I'll give the point to Doug and Mike. All right. All right. Now, let's go oh. to the next one, shall we? Oh, boy. There's a movie that came out a while ago. Uh, it's called Super 8. J.J. Abrams made it. I could pretty definitively say this is probably his best movie, especially considering he made Episode 9. Um, so Super 8, the, the movie uh, produced by Steven Spielberg, meant to be kind of a, a, a fun look back into an old time, which later kind of spurred on, maybe not entirely in part did Super 8, but definitely... Um, contributed to the spurring of the nostalgic stuff that I loathe so much. But this movie, to me, gets credit for being kind of the first one onto the ballpark on that one. Uh, This movie has um, just a good, joyous time, and I get how people don't love it, but Doug, why do you think this movie should have a zero on the bad scale? I would give you an argument, but I can't remember a single thing about this movie. I remember lens flares. That's all. Do you remember the children's chemistry, which nope. is probably one of the no. best chemistries? No, nope. I don't. I'll I'll speak I don't remember <laughs> jack crap about this movie. <laughs> I don't. I can't. I've seen this movie several times, and I cannot remember anything about this movie. Don't remember the alien that hears you pretty well. No. Then, I remember the whole. train exploding. Moving on from the loss of a player, any of that? and I remember a little bit of eight millimeter film. Not Mike, even the, is, the train scene. I do remember the train scene. Like this is how I feel about Road El Dorado when you guys were like, mm, "Not memorable," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> okay, fine. Well, we can go with this. I can work with this. Is a movie that is that not memorable really that bad? If you couldn't tell me why it's that bad, like what the? 
Uh, no, me, it sounds like it this is nothing. my new argument. That, Deal that, with it. That 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 just makes it sound like you want to know something. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because here's the thing, and this is the reason why I think you wanted to read to readdress this movie is because I gave it a zero and I fell asleep while we were watching it. Yeah, this is what I'm gonna tell you though, Mike. Okay, because I've fallen asleep during a lot of movies that we've watched for this podcast. <laughs> Most notably, I fell asleep during Arrival 2, and I was able to give that movie a rating, and I described, and I was able to, to contextually and, like, succinctly, like, describe my opinions of that movie. And here's the thing. I still remember why I gave that movie the score I did. I still remember that even though I slept during It's Such a Beautiful Day, I still remember that. I knew that there had to be something in that movie that warranted a high score, which is why I abstained from it. This movie, I literally could not tell you anything about it other than there are lens flares in it and J.J. Abrams directed it. And furthermore, you want to know something? I'm just going to say this because I get that a lot of folks don't like J.J. Abrams on this podcast because I don't think many of us do. But I'm just going to say this. J.J. Abrams has directed three movies that I have seen in my life or that I've been aware of. I'm sure he's probably directed more. But he has directed this movie. He has directed episode nine and episode seven. He He's directed more than three. I don't know why I just said three. Star Trek. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm getting at. Is He directed Star Trek, and I love that movie. So I don't think that just saying that J.J. Abrams... I'm, I don't even know what my argument is right now. Mike, this movie sucks. And I honestly, like, could not, I can't give you any context for it, but the fact that I can't remember a single freaking thing about this movie is just telling to how bad it is. I, I completely don't agree with that. If you can't tell me why something's bad, why is it bad? Because you can't tell me it's why it's It's forgettable, so clearly it's not amazing, and that I concede. I'm not looking for good scores here. I'm looking for a justification for you giving this movie a zero and you've given some movies that are real stinkers a zero. You know that. Yeah, I know. I know. You've given Kangaroo Jack a zero. Can you tell me why this movie deserves to be on the same level as Kangaroo Jack? Okay, fine. I'll concede that because I can remember why Kangaroo Jack is such crap. Yeah, you can. You can go off and vehemently argue about how bad it is, and I will join you gladly, hand in hand as brothers. But you're going to tell me <laughs> that Super 8 deserves the same score just because you can't remember it, but you have a vague feeling that it's not that good? You want me to give it just a little bit different than a zero? <laughs> Why not? Because I'll, I'll give it, Mike, if it'll make you feel better, <laughs> I'll give this movie a one on the bad scale. <laughs> It's not going above that, but I'll give it a one on the bad yeah, scale. If I, you, if you, if that's what you need to sleep at night, I will give it to you. <laughs> this movie is not worth Jack freaking cuss. I, I was kind of, kind of with Doug at the beginning, but now, now I'm kind of with Mike. You know, I think Mike has a better argument. I think he because um, I argument. have an argument. <laughs> Doug is just yes. I don't know. I don't like. <laughs> yes, Doug did not have an argument. The closest thing to an argument was I fall asleep through a lot of movies and I still have opinions on them. Which... And while we're while we're on that, Doug, we have we have protected your butt on a few of these podcasts. You know, you know the truth. You were there. How many movies do you think you slept through on this one? I think four. Four. Okay. I think four, because I think I've slept 
I slept through it such a beautiful day. Yeah. This movie, mm-hmm. a Goodwill Hunting, and Arrival. I feel like you fell asleep at Swiss Army Man for a bit. Okay. No, I didn't. I did okay. not fall asleep during Doug, Swiss Army Man. I know that. Doug fell asleep and I did during. Not fall asleep during Fear.com. That's because we talked through it. Yeah, I know. Doug fell asleep during It's Such a Beautiful Day, and then he decided not to rate it because he didn't see enough of the movie to make a good decision. I'm not sure what that says in relation to the I've debate already given that the was just had. <laughs> it means I was going to give that movie the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, now it's just overkill. But yes, thank you for the point. I, I, I've accomplished what I came here to do, Doug. All right, well. All that matters. It's time for our last <laughs> argument, boys. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. I'd say we've talked about it a lot uh, as one of our collective favorite moments of the podcast. Uh, going all the way back to episode, I don't remember the number. 49, I think. 49. No, it's not. No, no it's, it's not. not. That was late 46. 40-something. 40 uh, 51st dates. Uh, the specific argument isn't about scores or anything. No, the argument that we are rehashing is the same argument that we went to Facebook to try and get a conclusive answer to. The argument of whether or not uh, the two main characters, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, uh, are in love. Because Mike is better than words with me. I'm going to let him describe our side. Well, I'll say this, and I'm going to describe it in case you don't know it, mainly because I know Elijah couldn't tell you the first thing about it, and he's kind of our judge on this Right, one. He's, he's our tiebreaker. Because There's I looked a- back on the Facebook poll. Uh, something changed, and I think it's tied now. It is tied. Yeah, yeah, it's tied. Here's the thing, uh, for Eliza, this char- there's this movie has two characters. I'm going to call them Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore because <laughs> I can't be bothered to learn the for no names. particular reason. Yes. So, um, Drew Barrymore suffers from a condition in which, um, at a certain point in her life, she got in an accident. I think it was a car accident. Everything after that. So this is true for everything after this moment, as set up by the movie. She wakes up only remembering up until that car accident. She goes through the day and makes memories of that day within the confines of that day. And when she goes to sleep at night, that's all deleted in a way. That all gets forgotten. And she wakes up the next day and the cycle repeats itself. She wakes up and she remembers everything up until that car accident and then nothing else. Right. And the whole bit of the movie is Adam Sandler's character, who does not have that condition, uh, makes her fall in love with him every single day. Essentially. Now, our argument, our side is that when she wakes up in the morning, she does not love him. And if I remember correctly, their argument is that it really is love. And I'll let them make their argument now because they clearly want to. I'm going to let Tristan go first. I I just want to say one thing about uh what mike just said in describing it um it's there is one time in the movie towards the end where she starts to see her or him adam sandler she gets visions and, of him like consistently in her dreams right so she so she understands that he, this person exists so that's the only thing that she is remembering if if you even call it that and furthermore, so the so the end of the movie is the two of them do wind up getting married. Um, 
they do wind up getting married and they and having children. Sale. They do that, have a I, child. I really want to mention that. They do have a child. And the way that they get around the memory loss is Adam Sandler has a tape that Drew Barrymore is supposed to play every morning. And on that video, it updates her on everything that has happened. Now, this is what this is what you need to know, okay? At the end of the movie, Drew Barrymore's family approves of Adam Sandler. At the end of the movie, they do approve of him and they allow her, they allow him to take her off on this off on this life that they live together so we know that her primary caregivers for i think at least 20 years can see that the two of them do have some connection so there is some parental like like this is not done with adam sandler just saying just being malicious and wanting to essentially abduct drew barrymore for the rest of her life because this is done with some prior consent like her caregivers do things hold on hold that... on no no stop you talk about prior consent you know what drew barrymore character said she said don't she literally said do not waste your time and then adam sandler's just like but i love her and then <laughs> does it anyway despite not having her consent so no they are not in love anyway don't. doug continue <laughs> i mean I say that they're in love. I I That's I don't know I don't know how to put it more more okay, succinctly. I... Yeah, please go in because okay. I know that you're gonna say this better so, than me. So I also want to say that her so her primary caregiver was Elijah uh, are is her father and her brother, and they have been basically repeating that day, and by that day I mean whatever date it is let's say it's march 17th they've been I repeating over i think it's october 20th october 20th they've been repeating that they have the newspapers printed for that day like like everything is the same for her up until he comes adam sandler comes into her life and he uh starts a relationship with her and like they trust they start to trust him and everything like that um and then that then they move on from that and they're like okay it's actually a new day they go on and at the end of the movie um they it's shown that i don't know i guess they live on a boat but they're, yeah, they're there with they're their sailing, daughter they're sailing to uh to alaska and her father and brother are there with them too so her family's there with them as well and despite the fact that she also asked her family to stop yeah and, but, but then the next day until, she'll yeah say, when it was convenient yeah but then the next day she'll she, say because she didn't remember then the next day she'll say, uh, yeah, I'm okay with this. I like it. Continue. So but that's going completely against her wishes from another day. And what's stopping her waking up and watching the tape on the boat and deciding, no, I'm not cool with this. And now this kid's like, why does my mom hate me today? Or okay, think what's about stopping like, waking her? up yeah, eight months stopping pregnant her from being waking like, up what in the world and just happened? What's, what's stopping her from waking up one day being told that she said no at one point and her saying, no, I don't want to say no anymore. And then the exact inverse would happen later on. Yeah, but like we see multiple times throughout the movie that she wakes up and she says that she's not okay with it. My argument is very simple. She wake, but but we see more consistently that she wakes up and she. But does it is not fair to her. She is it is not fair to her to be put through not only being married but having a kid. Can you imagine waking up every day for nine months and being like, "Oh crap, I'm pregnant. How did this happen?" What's a What's a better life for someone? 
waking up and thinking that the day is the day that they have the accident and they live a normal life and they go to bed and they wake up and they repeat that day again or, or waking up and constantly mentally, mental professionals yeah or waking up and being constantly reminded that you did get in a car accident you did lose your memory you did fall in love with this person and you did in fact have a child you brought life into this world okay I, you have a child that has to deal with this i didn't ask for any of this madness yeah like think my about point that child. is very very simple elijah mother not me, knowing them Tristan, I'm going to let you, I'm gonna let you go. I just have this one thing. My yeah. argument is extremely simple. When Drew Barrymore wakes up in the morning, she does not love Adam Sandler. That is my argument. And she is not capable of it. Exactly. I don't remember what I was going to say now, so. Elijah? Whoa. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I did see this movie one time, but it was years ago, and I don't really remember it. So I basically haven't seen it. Um, I don't know that I find what Ben said compelling about consent. Now, you could, that's a quote you could take out of context and make me sound like a really bad person. It, it um, totally is. But her, her saying to the man that says that he loves her, her saying, don't bother because I'm not worth it, that is not consent the way you're making it seem if somebody says don't bother with me because i'm not worth it you know they've got a self-worth issue that you need to work through if you love them you'll work through them with it and it'll be better for them for you to do that right right ben good point (laughs) i will say that i do believe that adam sandler's character is in love with drew barrymore's character my bigger point is that he specifically goes against her wishes. Like, call it, like, she might have issues with self-worth or whatever. She specifically says that she does not want him to do it. So what does he do? He essentially takes advantage of her by being like, okay, well, she's going to forget. So I'm just going to try again. No. I want to add that she doesn't have the ability to consent to a long-term relationship. Right. She does. She's a human being who has the ability to consent. That I don't even think that's part of this argument. I, I, she, she has said the exact same or exact opposite thing. We can assume that she has, and we've seen her say that she loves him, and they have a relationship. She changes her mind every single day. And how is that healthy to put her in? A who, situation. who is to say what's healthy, Ben, in, uh, in, in, in this aspect? Well, perhaps this is, the uh, professionals that were caring for her before Adam Are you Sandler, a professional? No, are I'm you? not saying I am. I'm saying that there were professionals that were taking care of her before Adam Sandler showed up and was like, hey, I love you. Cool. And I'm not a professional took her either. From that. The bit where they're um, making the newspapers and stuff to make it seem like she's waking up to the same day every day. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that's the way to go? I don't. I think, I think it's better than what Adam Sandler did. When, when you have somebody, and this is a completely personal argument because everyone has different ideas of the ethics of these things. I think when you have somebody that is in a position like this, the ideal situation is to put them through the least trauma you can. And I think repeating the same day constantly is the path for that. I think that is the way 
that you give this person the least traumatic experience. We also know that going through trauma has physical attributes. Being anxious can have long-term damage on your intestines. Being depressed can have long-term damage on the whole of your body and your general health. I think you have a honest to God duty to give someone the least amount of traumatic experience. I think from a medical standpoint, and again, I'm not a professional. I think from a medical standpoint, this is genuinely the like not the path to go down. I think the best thing to do Honestly, I would say is to put her through the least the traumatic paths. experience. I would argue though, because we're not trying to argue what's the best medical choice. We're trying to argue yeah. do they love each other? Well, if they loved each other, would they not want the best medical choice? Well, the reason I asked that question is because they are um, they're lying to her day after day. Did she consent to that? Which is the same point I made that it's it gets a little nebulous and gray when it comes to what she's able to consent to. Right. Right. Like if if she woke up and Adam Sandler was like, "Hey, I'm your husband," and then like tried to kiss her and she was like, "No," that would be a good time for Adam Sandler to back off. But for her to say, "Don't bother trying to love me because I'm going to forget every day and I'm not worth it," that sounds less like a lack of consent and more like a cry for help. <laughs> let, let me let me say the only time we see them after they're married and she wakes up to this life, his, this is what happens. She wakes up, she's uh, she's alone in the in this room. Um, it's her bedroom on the boat. And she puts in this tape, which is Adam Sandler explaining everything, basically. And she, she watches that. Then she walks out of uh, the room onto the deck of the boat. And the shot uh, zooms out. And we see that, there's, that her family's there. Adam Sandler's there. Her, she has a daughter. Um, and he greets her and every, you know, they just continue on. And something we said in the podcast is what's, what's keeping us from not or like we I, I think we can assume that this movie will continue like this and in, in doing things similar to this as it goes on i think michael's point was we don't know because the movie is over and that's what we can only deal with i think it's also fair says. to say that from the moment that we get this last shot in the movie to the moment to like the last real scene that we see of all of them like it's made clear many many years have passed in the time frame yeah like, i think i think the daughter is like six or seven seven she's yeah. at least seven something that i think yeah. is worth noting on this is we see throughout the movie that drew barrymore does and does not like adam sandler multiple times that sometimes she wakes up and she's just not a fan of him based on whatever have you we so i don't think it's fair to say that she is oh that this tape is always going to work on her because right. we have the evidence of the rest of the movie that shows that it does not necessarily go like that she does not always love adam sandler every single day right so what do they do they trap her in a marriage with a kid yeah i was that gonna she, say that she thing. is essentially not able to get out of because like if they do have a bad day adam sandler would probably just be like but we'll just wait till tomorrow and try again because you can't process a divorce in one day. Like, it's not possible. And like, they've already made it clear that they're not really gonna listen to her. A lot of this is hinging on, so what you're saying is hinging on whether or not Adam Sandler is a genuinely good person in this movie. 
and that's that's debatable. Yeah. I think I think he has good intentions, and I think he definitely has good intentions towards the end of the movie, and we see that pretty consistently. Um, but see, I would argue that he has more selfish intentions at the beginning. No, I but, think at the end too. Like well, he's doing what he does because he is being selfish and loving her by instead of giving her the proper medical attention that she needs. But also it is worth saying trapping her in a marriage. But it is also worth saying that after she says no, don't don't try this, he does back off. Yo, uh the more Ben talks about this, Mm -hmm. the more I think his broader statement about consent is valid. (laughs) So so Go ahead, Doug. Nothing. I'm saying let's go on and get to closing. Yeah, I'm ready to hear Elijah. I think we've both made our points. I want Elijah, thoughts. Is it love? Is this good? All that. Daggum. I I should have watched the movie beforehand. Um, (laughs) They're good. I think we sprung this on you Just to clarify, just to clarify, the only argument that we are looking at, the only argument that bears answering is do is do Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore both love each other? And, and I want to slide addendum to that. I am not questioning if Adam Sandler loves her. So yes, I, I think to we that all entirely. can agree it's that Adam Sandler way around. loves her. Yeah. So yes. Mike and I are saying that Drew Barrymore's character is not capable of loving Adam Sandler's character. Tristan and I are saying that she is capable of loving him. Okay. Um, just speaking generally about what I believe philosophically <laughs> without having seen this movie. Yes. I do not believe that you can fall in love genuinely with a person in less than a day. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only thing at this point that would make me side with Doug and Tristan on this is one thing that I did find interesting is that you said she dreams about her husband. Well, she has dreams of like a vague image of Adam Sandler's head. Well, that she paints. And it gets more prominent as you go on towards the end of the I movie. I mean, that says something about him uh, in her subconscious and, and the way that her subconscious mind has latched onto their relationship. But I don't know anything about psychology. I don't know. I think that could be... Uh, that, that could have something to do with the... the chemistry we call love uh but i will say just plain and simple i do not believe that you can fall in love with a person in less than a day you're wrong <laughs> you <laughs> thank are you wrong. elijah thank you elijah you are wrong and, that one well, for, uh, i'll say this i do i think you could fall in love with someone in a day possibly i don't think it's likely but i'll say it's possible mm-hmm. my whole argument is she wakes up in the morning and she does not love him would you agree to that, Elijah, or do you disagree on that? Uh, my instinct is to agree with you, Mike. It's a good instinct. Can I, can I say something to that? Yes. So Elijah brought up a good thing about the subconscious um, that I, I guess I didn't put a name to it before, but if she has this thought of him and her subconscious that's latched on to this guy and we, like, she, she paints him, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Um, so it's growing. Like it starts as like a thought, and then it like keeps 
manifesting itself until it's like actually a person that she can identify somewhere deep inside her mind. Some part of her loves him in that sense. I, that, I don't, I don't that, think you can argue against that. That gets lost in the weeds about what is love. Right. So that's, I understand what your interpretation is. <laughs> Why can't we is. talk about that then? Well, because this is, because oh, we're an man. hour and a half into the podcast. And, and that's kind of a big dying. hefty topic. I would say in a, in a general sense, I think love may include the subconscious, but I think it requires the inclusion of the conscious mind. Right. And that's why I do not think it's love. All right. Fine. We lost on 51st. I, I, I don't like, concede this argument, but whatever. I'm not fine. conceding it. I'm just that's accepting fine, the fact numbers. that we lost. And, and I will say just one last thing about that. The whole dreams subconscious mind loving someone thing that is interesting and it's something to think about but i i think i gotta side with mike and ben thank you i mean i won't make any argument that he absolutely made some kind of impact on her we'll have to all take psych classes and get around three in here at some point i don't think she can make the conscious choice to love him we need to do this episode 100 of the relaunch Oh, we need to do this again. We get right. like psych professors in here. Yeah. So we Literally. so we, we come to the conclusion that we win for now, but yes. who knows what the, the future holds. Stands. All right. Well, uh, reviewing our uh, scores and how we did. Uh, sorry, Doug. Uh, you I mean, you did the worst. Uh, you went I one knew and four. Going in, I was going to be zero and three. You went one and four. Uh, moving up, Tristan. You're just above that. You went one and three. Makes sense. Elijah, you finished in even 500, one and one. Mike, you did pretty solidly, four and two. But like always, I'm always right. I went four and oh, <laughs> so I'll take that. Right on, Ben. Oh, goodness. I'm okay with these results. Yeah. I'm not, They're but fitting. <laughs> They're fitting. <laughs> that um, was the battle, though. Yeah, that was the battle of the jerks. That was the battle of the jerks. But not the end. Guys, That's next week. Guys, we have... <sighs> We have spent 99 glorious episodes of this podcast together. And next week is our finale ultimo. Um, uh, Next week is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a very reminiscent week. Uh, We're going to, we're going to touch on the, the high points of the jerks, the low points of the jerks. We're probably going to get some opinions from some of our past guests uh, it's gonna be a fun time. Yeah, you're probably gonna get the story of how the podcast came to be again, but maybe not. It's the finale. It's, it's the gonna finale. pull out all the stops. We got all yep. the stuff going into it. Might even it's get some finale. behind the scenes stuff, but probably not. Yeah. Who knows? Also, uh, next week. Yeah, I can't say this definitively, but I feel like next week you'll probably get some more like definitive uh, information on what to plan for going forward with the podcast um as far as like what happens after our hiatus uh but uh but yeah anybody else got anything to say no but in the meantime mike where can the good people find us for now that's a really good question the good people can find us on some jerks podcast well almost just said pod that wouldn't be true some jerks (laughs) podcast.com everything i'm about to say can be found there on there, you're going to find all of our episodes, our ratings. You can learn a little more about us. We have our best film section. 
Um, just a whole lot of good stuff on there. We also are primarily on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Some Jerks Who Talk About Movies, the full thing. You can find us on Twitter, Some Jerks Pod. And you can find us on Instagram at Some Jerks Podcast. We post a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I would say that we usually post stuff that would help you prepare for the movie of the week, although that's currently not happening. But I will say I would keep up with it. it we're definitely going to be announcing whatever we're going to end up doing in the future on there. You can also listen to us in every other of the 98 current episodes of the podcast on major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And good thing, that stuff's not going away. That stuff is going to stay there. Yeah. The jerks may be ending, but the legacy will remain and the podcast will stay in existence. Right where it lives. Yep. On all the major streaming platforms. <laughs> yep. Uh, but all yeah, right. guys, I had fun with this. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it was a good time. Um, I hope everyone listening, I hope y'all all enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope to, I hope y'all will turn it, tune in next week when we wrap up this, uh, this awesome ride and with a nice little bow, uh, as, uh, as we hit episode 100. <laughs> but until then, for all us jerks who talk about movies, I'm Doug. I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Michael. I'm Elijah. And we looked for perks and talked with jerks. We're just jerks who talk about movies. Y'all have a great week.